Amen. I think we can all pray that prayer. Amen. What a blessing this morning. I thank the brother Greg for the great music today. We are encouraged, as always, anytime we get to be in the house of the Lord. I tell you, the last few weeks has been a little bit of a challenge. I think about all the different folks that we've had in our church that have not just gone through loss, but also those that have gone through COVID. And uh, I know it has been a challenge with our volunteers, and let me just say thank you to all those who've stepped up and said, hey, we, we, we will help last minute. I know yesterday we had news that other, someone else had uh, gotten sick, and so we uh, were able to find people to fill in, and what a blessing it is to find people that will selflessly serve the Lord uh, just even in the last minute. And so I just want to say that as we begin here, and we uh, begin in John chapter 11 today, and we're going to share with you a message about for the glory of God. And really, we think about our theme this month, this year, I shared with you last Sunday, was strong in faith. Well, that comes out of Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. It says, strong in faith, giving glory unto God. Well, that's our desire, is that our lives, our ministry, our work here, everything that we do would give glory to the Lord. Probably, this is the most important theme in the universe, is the glory of God. You know, think, think about this with me. It's the underlying reason for all of God's works, from the creation of the world to the redemption of the fallen sinners to the judgment of unbelievers and even eventually to the manifestation of His greatness for all eternity in heaven. It's all for the glory of God. Listen, God's glory is intrinsic. It's intrinsic to His nature. And the Bible refers to Him in Acts chapter 7 as the God of glory. Acts 7, 2 says, You men, brethren, fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. And we think about this, and the Scripture calls Him the King of glory. Think, look in, in Psalms chapter 24, verses 7 through 10. You can follow along with me, but come back to, we're going to come back to John 11 in just a minute. But He says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and, and be ye lifted up, and lift up. At ye everlasting doors, uh, and the King of glory shall come. Who is this King of glory? The strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. I'm so thankful that we serve the King of glory. I'm so thankful that today as we come to the Word of God, we find that He is a God of great glory today. And a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 57, He's called the High and Lofty One. He said, For thus saith the High and Lofty One that inhabited eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, God is, is the God of glory he is high and lifted up. And really, when we come to church, that's our desire, is that we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We lift up this God that we serve, this God of the Bible. You know, everything that we do here, we desire that God get the glory. I, I mentioned right out of the box about our volunteers and those that just stick, stand up and say, we want to help and be a, a, a help and a blessing in this. And I, and I think about uh, their desire to remain unnamed, their desire just to give God the glory for all the good things that He's done. And man, I can't, I can't but help but stop and say, man, thank you, Lord, for these wonderful folks. Thank you for you getting the glory in this situation. Well, listen, we find out that through the Scripture that God, the Father, is called the Father. Father of glory, Ephesians 1, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. And we find later in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, Christ is the, uh, the, called the Lord of glory. 
As it's which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of glory. We see this in 1 Peter 4.14. He says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. You see, over and again, we see God's glory is referred to in the Scriptures. How much more important should it be that our lives reflect the glory of God? You see, God's glory is uniquely His. His glory is not going to be shared with anybody. It's not going to be shared with me. It's not going to be shared with you. Isaiah 42 and verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So oftentimes we want to give praise and ascribe praise to things that don't deserve it. But tell you, and when we come to church, we're reminded that our praise belongs to the Lord of glory. Man, when we sing, we're singing to the God of all glory, the one that deserves every bit of it. Well, the Word of God consistently extols the greatness of God's glory. I'm going to share with you a couple of things about what God's Word says. Psalm 57, verse 11, Be thou exalted, O God, among the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. But God's glory is revealed in an infinite number of ways, and one of which is in His creation. In Psalms chapter 19, and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Aren't you thankful that we can look outside, we can go outside and see the glories of God revealed by God's handy, handiwork? It says, the firmament showeth His handiwork. You look up at night and see the stars of God and be reminded that those things are the work of our God of glory. And said later, Isaiah would write, uh, after he had seen the Lord, the Lord had called him up into a vision, and, and he was able to go into the throne room of God and saw there the glory of the Lord. And verse number 3 in Isaiah 6 says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of her hosts, who the whole earth is full of His glory. Everything God created gives Him glory, except fallen angels and fallen men. What a travesty. What a travesty that the world around us knows even to ascribe the glory of God to Him. But we sometimes will miss this opportunity in our own vanity and our, uh, our own pride. We want to dis- uh, ascribe God's glory that rightfully belongs to Him, to me. And even they, uh, we think about all the, 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 those that reject the glory of God. Even in their rejection, they bring Him glory because one day... He will display His holiness by judging those. You see, God's glory is seen all about us. Not only is it seen in, the, in all of the, the judgment to come, not only is it seen in the work of God's hands, not only is it seen as Isaiah saw in the throne room of God, but it's even seen in redemption. The Apostle Paul called the message of salvation the gospel of the glory of Christ in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And then later in verse 15, he says, And he noted that the saving grace of God spread abroad brings him glory. He says in verse 15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. At various times throughout history, God manifests His visible glory to His people. Think about with me, as Moses led the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt and into the Promised Land, we're reminded that God reveals Himself in a very tangible way. But even, even there, 
We're reminded Moses was overwhelmed with the responsibility of leading Israel, and he cried out to God that he might see just the, just the glory of God. And he says in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23, we recount this, and he says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is Moses talking to God. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there is no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass that my, while my glory passeth by, thou will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with thy, my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You see, God allowed Moses just to see the hinder parts of his glory. As the children of Israel left the children in the land of Egypt, they saw the manifest glory of God in the pillar of uh, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. A visible manifestation of God's glory was present uh, at the dedication of the temple, of the tabernacle, of, Sol of Solomon's temple in the tabernacle. We saw that there in the scriptures. As Isaiah was preparing for ministry, again, in Isaiah 6, there was that manifestation of God's glory. But the most wonderful and gracious manifestation, and really the most complete of all of God's manifestation of His glory, came in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this, John 1:14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Man, what a blessing. We don't have to wonder, what is God like? We don't have to wonder, does God love us? It's manifested to us through the glory of Jesus Christ. And following Christ's first miracle, John even explained the significance of even that small act of turning the water into wine. And he says in John 2, 11, this, the, uh, this beginning of miracles did Jesus at, in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. You see, God demonstrated his glory to us in a very tangible way so that we might be able to enter, be able to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into heaven through his name. You see, while Christ was on the earth, Jesus' divine glory was veiled in human flesh. But on one occasion, he did unveil his true majesty just to three of his disciples. Do you remember this moment? We call it the transfiguration of Christ, Matthew 17, 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. You see, they got to see firsthand the glory of God manifest from Christ. Oh, one day we will all see that together. We will all see him face to face, face to face with Christ my Savior. We come to John chapter 11 today. And as we come here, we are given the last and really one of the most powerful of the seven miracles, uh, miraculous signs that John demonstrates in this gospel. And so this, this incredible miracle that he gives is the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus, who had been four days dead. I, I, I can't help but think about what Martha said, surely, Lord, he stinketh. They didn't have the embalmer. He didn't have the funeral home to take care of him and keep him on ice. They had stuck him almost immediately into the grave. And as they did so, the, the flesh begins to decay. And Martha was concerned when, they, when Christ said, roll away that stone. He said, listen, it's not going to be pleasant, Lord. And we've done what we could to prepare the body, but it won't be pleasant. But this incredible miracle that we are going to see today revealed in the Scriptures 
reminds us that Christ is still Lord. He still deserves our glory. Last week we saw in John chapter 10 one of the last, uh, one of the last uh, events in Christ's public ministry. And, and we see the confrontation that Christ had with the Jewish authorities on, at Solomon's porch. And as we see the end of that public ministry, chapter 11 and 12 form a bridge from this section into the final section of the book of John. It describes that really the last week, that passion week of Christ. And so as we see here in John chapter 11, I invite you to turn your attention. Let's read the first 16 verses of John 11. And we see the glory of God, all done for the glory of God. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore... His sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the, true, uh, seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in, in the light, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in, in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Let's stop there. Father, we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for this wonderful passage. Lord, that we're reminded that all of these things are for your glory. Thank you for reminding us from the scripture already in our, just our introduction that, Lord, you are the God of glory, the King of glory, the Lord of glory. We thank you for the, the fact that you are God, no one else. There is no God beside you, O oh God. And so today we bow before you with heads bowed, worshiped uh, in a worshipful heart, Lord, we've sung praises that we might ascribe the worth that you are. But God, may we, even in this moment, choose to give you glory in our life. We pray these things in the blessed name of our Savior and your Son, Christ. Amen. So as we come to this place in John chapter 11, we see that Jesus had been ministering in Perea for, uh, for several months and would return to the vicinity of Jerusalem. And that's for the purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. And then later, we would see, just, just a short time later, he would be crucified. Yet despite the, the miracles he would perform, despite what they would actually see, the Jews would see this tremendous miracle that we'll look at more closely next week. They would see Lazarus raised from the dead. And despite all of those things, they chose to hate and not believe. 
their, their hate for him didn't, didn't abate. Instead, what we see instead is that these people chose to continue to refuse Jesus Christ. These people continue to refuse the word of God. And so what we see here instead is that God wants us to be able to say, listen, Lord, we believe. We want to give glory to God in our lives. This miracle evidenced Christ's glory in three ways. One, it pointed to his deity. Only God could resurrect the dead. But secondly, it strengthened the faith of the disciples. Man, imagine being able to see something like that. Man, we, I was um, at a funeral yesterday. Brother Corey was at one. Brother Dennis celebrated the homegoing of his sister yesterday. There was a lot that was going on uh, yesterday. And, and as we were going through these, I couldn't help but wonder, man, what would happen if that, that person got out of that casket? I'll tell you what. It'd either be a celebration or one of those uh, someone crying fire type of a thing and everybody heading for the door. Well, listen, Lazarus was in that grave, and as he was there in the grave, it led to these disciples and even others to believing, and we'll see that more closely next week, but we ultimately see that this miracle ties us directly to the cross of Christ. Listen, if Christ could resurrect Lazarus, he was telling his disciples, listen, if I can do this, don't worry when you find me dead in the grave three days. And that's nothing. He says, just, just trust me in this. And then, I'm glad for your sakes. In verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. That's what he said. The life and death and resurrection of Lazarus was given to bring glory to God and to help them to grow in their faith, to help us even now in our generation. Listen, our generation, there are many who scoff and mock God for this purpose. They, they often taunt and claim that God is arrogant to demand glory, but let me just say that He is worthy of all glory. He's worthy of all the praise that we can give Him. J.S. Bach is a famous, if I was to talk about Bach, many of us would, would say, yeah, I think I know that he uh, probably wrote music. Yeah. All music, he said this, all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God. And the soul's refreshment, where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. On his compositions, he wrote J.J., Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And then he ended them with, with SDG, Solia Dia Gratia, which means to God alone the praise. You know, last week I shared with you that God wants us to be strong in faith. We read through Romans chapter 4, and we studied that last uh, Sunday night, and we were reminded that Moses didn't stagger. I love Romans 4.20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Listen, as we strengthen our faith, we give God all the glory, and that's our desire today, that our faith would be strengthened. That's what Christ wanted to do here in this moment. And John 11 was, listen... As you disciples, as you, uh, as you see this, your faith will be strengthened. So let's start with a dire condition. We're just going to go over what the Word of God says here in verse number uh, chapter 11. Now the Bible says in verse number 1, A certain man was sick named Lazarus. Now Lazarus is a shortened form of the Hebrew name Eleazar, which means God has helped. What a great name for a man he's about to resurrect. God has helped. And, but it is also... Uh, since the name was a common one, John further identifies him by the village in which he lives. So we, so we see here that he is from Bethany. Now, if you remember last week, we left Jesus in Bethany beyond Jordan. This is a different Bethany. This Bethany was right outside of Jerusalem. It was like a suburb, if you will. And this was not, uh, and so this is Bethany in Judea. 
John further identified Bethany specifically as the village of Mary and Martha. Now, the Bible talks about six different Marys in the Bible. And so he identifies in verse 2, which Mary I'm talking about. And, and so he says in verse number 2, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now this is, actually doesn't happen for just a little bit, but John wanted to identify her in the gospel so we knew who he was talking about. And so and Mary is identified as that specific one that anointed the Lord with ointment. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, we can read that. Uh, but for time's sake, I'm not going to, but we could be reminded them of all that, that uh, Mary had done there. But it was in this time that Lazarus faced a really a, a dire, serious condition. The verb used to describe uh, sickness here and his condition points to a great weakness or an exhaustion in his flesh. Man, I don't know about you, but uh, COVID feels like that sometimes, doesn't it, Amen. But in the Gospels, it's usually translated as sick. The Apostle Paul uses this same verb, and as he does so, he translated it as weak. It was also the same word used to describe the impotent man in the pool of Bethesda. So we don't know what kind of sickness that Lazarus had, but we do know that eventually led to his death. It was a very serious condition. And so let's look here at the concern in verse number 3 through 7 here, as we look at the Scriptures, uh, we see here the, the devastating concern of Mary and Martha. They reached out to Jesus, had a desire to help, and they were concerned for Lazarus' condition. They believed that Jesus would be willing to help their brother. Listen, they said, and look at, look at how they word it in verse 3. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. He uses the word phileo here. He's like, this is your brother. This is the one you walk through things and fire together. He says, listen, this is the one that has, has been there with you. You've stayed in our home. This is one that you've demonstrated love to. He said, Jesus, don't forget him in his hour of need. And they didn't say, come and help heal him. They didn't, maybe they just expected Jesus to be able to say, well, he's healed from there. But they sent a messenger and they left Bethany in Judea and went to Bethany beyond Jordan. And, and as, as Jesus was there, we see that the messenger arrived. And I believe that Lazarus was probably already dead before the messenger ever arrived. Lazarus had died while that messenger was in route. Jesus knew it. And then simply they stated, the one you love is sick. Can you imagine the scene in this home? The home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, two, two sisters fretting over a brother maybe that's sick with fever or weakened by body. And we see all of these different things anxiously awaiting news from Jesus. Or maybe they're expecting him to just suddenly get better because Christ has healed him from afar. There's no doubt. There's no fear that gripped their hearts. But Lazarus was dying. Perhaps things had gotten too late. Maybe as they're sitting there, they, the next day they see the messenger come back and he's out of breath and he just comes in the room and he says, oh, I just want you to know, I, I just saw Jesus. And they said, well, where is he? He said, well, I left him there. He's still, a, he's still in uh, Bethany. Was he coming? And they says, I don't think so. He said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God. I think he's all right. And they look over at Lazarus and said, he's dead. He missed that one. Man, could you imagine how dumbfounded these sisters were in the face of, of the now evident fact that Lazarus was dead? In fact, by this point, a funeral had probably com been completed. The body was already in the family tomb, and Jesus had not even shown up. As Christ said, the sickness was not unto death. He didn't mean that he wasn't going to die, but he said that death 
wouldn't be the ultimate outcome. Aren't you thankful? Listen, one of these days, I'm going to die. Hebrews 9, 27, has it appointed unto man once to die. One of these days, I'm going I'm to expire. This body will give out. But I'm telling you what, I think about what Lazarus went through. Death will not get the victory. Man, this is not the end for John Bingham. And, and when that, when that final day finally comes and my breath breathes it, gives its last here on this earth, I'm thankful that when I open my eyes, I'll be right there in the presence of my Lord and Savior. Because death does, cannot hold me. And there's no grave that can keep me. Just like, just like Lazarus, just like Jesus Christ. And, and just like that we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus Christ and His resurrection demonstrates that, we have, uh, that there will be victory over death. The blind man in John chapter 9, his illness, his death, his resurrection were for the glory of God. Listen, Lazarus' death was for the glory of God as well. Some people teach that, listen, if you, if you live right and you're following God, no bad thing will ever happen in your life. Man, I just want to slap people like that. <laughs> Amen? The reality is, is that we're going to face hardships in life. There's going to be some times where we learn that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I learned that because I've walked through those valleys. We learned that because we've gone through those trials. We learned that because we're going through those difficult seasons. And it's there that we're reminded that God can get all the glory in that season. Christ's response indicates that sickness, even death, sometimes may be God's will for His people. Listen, sometimes we say, man, I don't understand why God took so-and-so. God took someone early. Listen, God's timing is always right. He's never late. God doesn't show up late. He doesn't show up early. He's always on time. Sometimes we read this story like that of Job. We know the ending already, right? We come to Job and we think, all right, Job lost his family and he lost his finances and he lost his health and he lost all of these things. But glory to God, we know he gets it all back in the end. Well, it's easy to read Job when you know the ending. What's well, easy to read about Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And we get to Lazarus and said, yes, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Amen, brother. I can't wait to see him walk out of that grave. Man, what a glorious thing. But listen, they didn't know that. They were walking through the fire in the midst of this. And it seemed as though Jesus had been silent when he should have spoken. It seemed as though he had let them down, just as it seems that sometimes when we pray desperately and we get no answer, or when it seems that, that, that the wrong answer comes, and we, we begin to wonder and we begin, begin to question, Lord, do you even still love us in the midst of this? Listen, the closeness of the Lord's relationship was evident here. This is the only passion, passage where we read, Jesus wept. Jesus didn't ignore them. He didn't, he didn't forsake them. But instead, he was saying, listen, trust me in this. In verse number 5, where it talks about it, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That word love is agape. It's the highest form of godly, divine love that a person can have. And he says, listen, I didn't just phileo love him. I loved him with a, with a godly love, an unconditional love. Instead of rushing back to Bethany and to, uh, to, uh, to fulfill the response, instead he delayed. And he says, trust me. Lord, it's sometimes when we're waiting on the Lord that it can be so difficult. But this delay didn't serve several purposes. One, it strengthened the sisters' faith. It strengthened their faith in the Lord by forcing them to trust him. 
It made clear that Lazarus was truly dead and hence that Jesus raising of him was indeed a miracle. There was no denying that. Matter of fact, later we see this come up again in the Word of God and we are reminded that Lazarus' resurrection was evident, evidently pointing to Christ's deity. Only God could raise someone from the dead. Jesus operated according to God's timetable and He does still today. You may be praying Maybe you've got a, a child that's been sick and you've been praying, asking God for healing. Maybe you're going through a financial turmoil and I just tell you that sometimes those can seem like the hardest, darkest valleys, but I'm faith and thankful that God is always faithful. And when we go through those things, we, we may not know where the answer is coming from and we don't necessarily know how God is working, but we do know that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I do know that I, when I come to the Lord, He is the good shepherd that hears the voice of His sheep and He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Listen, that's the God that we serve today. Let's look at the final portion of this passage, verses 7 through 16 here, as we see a daring claim. Verse number 7, it says, Then after that he saith to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And his disciples say to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. And so let me just share with you a couple of things out of this passage very quickly. There was no doubt that the disciples were dumbfounded by the reactions of Jesus. First, he didn't go immediately to see Lazarus. Second, he said, well, his sickness is not unto death. And then he says, oh, well, we're going to go back to Judea. And they're like, what are you doing? Just put yourself in, his, in their shoes for a moment. Here's Jesus said, well, we're not going to go. And then he says, well, we're going to go now. And they couldn't understand what was going on. Why would you do this, Lord? Surely there's danger and death there for you. But Christ wasn't concerned with danger. He was, a, he was only concerned with God's timing and of the lateness of the hour. Listen, Christ's declaration allowed them to be able to see the urgency in this moment. Later, he would see, say very plainly in verse 14, Lazarus was dead. But Christ, as he shared that, we see that Christ was living on God's timetable. Everything was perfect Everything he did was the right time. Everything that, that he was doing. And it reminds me so much that in my own life, as I wait upon the Lord, and there's times where I'm saying, Lord, I, I'm hoping that you'll work in this situation. And God, I'm hoping that you'll heal, heal this life. And God, I'm hoping that you'll, you'll bring us through this time. And God, I want you to see the end of this, this hardship that, that we're going through. But I'm reminded that God's timing is always right. He was not going to rush or draw back because of danger. He just trusted. What a great example for our life. Our life is on His time. I don't have to fear in this hour, in this moment. I just trust in the work of God in my life. Listen, Christ knew that His day was coming. He, he, he was not a fool. God, Christ was omniscient. We see this played out. As a matter of fact, in this passage, as we see Him, and we see in verse 14, as He reveals Lazarus is dead, He's revealing His omniscience as God. And He says, listen, I'm telling you, Lazarus is dead. I'm trying to be gentle with you, but you're not paying attention. So I'm going to just tell you plainly, Lazarus is gone. And of course, we see this revealed, but sometimes we get worked up over that, that day. Are you nervous about dying? This week, um, 
We were able to finally get out and get the kids out of the house. And I tell you, they'd been bottled up for so long. Uh, they were, they were I'm pulling them off the walls and the ceilings and saying, all right, kids, we've got to get out of this house. And so we took them down to Fritz's this week. And, and we, uh, we were down there playing and having fun in Branson and, and just a little bit with them. And, and so we were in line, and I was standing there, and I was talking to these two guys. And I said, man, well, and they were, they were young, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Health, stamina, vigor, all the stuff that I lost somewhere along the way. And I saw these guys, and man, they're, they're walking across these ropes 30, 40, 50 feet off the air. And I'm thinking, my goodness, look at these guys. They're not scared of anything. And so I told, we got in line behind them. I said, man, you guys are um, fun to watch. He said, I didn't know we had a fan club. I said, yeah, we've been watching. I said, we've been enjoying uh, just watching you walk across these things and not touching anything. You're harnessed, so you're not going to fall and die or anything. But it's still pretty, pretty messed with your head. You've been there? Has anybody been there? It's crazy. You need to go there if you're an adrenaline junkie. So I'm talking to these guys, and I said, and he said, yeah, I'm not afraid of dying. I said, you know what? When you know Jesus Christ, I said, you don't have to be afraid of dying. And boy, his eyes lit up, and we began to talk about the Lord and all that God had done in his life and how that God had brought him from drugs into a life of, of healing and hope once again. I'm telling you what, as we were standing there, we were talking to this, this, the, these guys. Man, I, it was just exciting to be able to say, listen, we don't have to fear death because we serve a God who's bigger than death. Listen, we're, there may be some of you today that are feeling anxious. Maybe some of you today that are feeling worried about COVID or you may be feeling worried about the different sicknesses and dying. But let me tell you, I don't have anything to fear because I have an appointed time. Psalm 20, or Hebrews 9, 27, I quoted this a while ago, but there it is on the wall. It says, as it is appointed unto man wants to die. I've got an appointment with the Lord. And I'm not going to advance that and I'm not going to deter, I'm not going to deter that. Listen, I can eat green stuff my, all my life. And miss out on steak and, and all the good stuff. And it's not going to get me there any, any later. I might not be as happy <laughs> along the way. But listen, we're just trusting in the Lord. Listen, this time in which we live, we're trusting in God and His plan and His sovereignty in our life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do you understand what the will of God is in this moment? It's not to fear, but to have that spirit of power and of love and of sound mind to care for one another, to continue forward by faith, to say, listen, God, I'm going to strengthen my faith in a time when everybody else wants to run away. God, I want to run toward the fight. Annie Louise Walker was born in England in 1836. At age 18, she visited her brothers who had migrated to Canada for a season. And, uh, and while she was there, she observed the shortness of the daylight hours. And she reflected on the spiritual truth of the shortness of the time that we have to work as well. And she sat down and she penned a, a hymn that we often sing, Work for the Night is Coming. The last verse says this, Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tents are glowing, work for the daylight flies. Work till the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work, for, uh, work while the night is darkening when man's work is o'er. Christ knew his work was coming to an end. And he said, listen, I'm not afraid of what man can do, do to me. I want to just simply obey the Father. There's one more daring claim, and it comes from a source that's unexpected. If you look in your Bible in, in uh, verse number 16, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. 
It was from the mouth of Thomas that we hear one more daring claim. Maybe he was, he, he was kind of a pessimistic fellow. You know, ever known anybody who's kind of a melancholy? Man, loyal unto the end, but man, they're kind of pessimistic in their, in their life. And Thomas is known in, in history as doubting Thomas because he doubted the resurrection of Jesus, but there was much more to him. If you look at his life, we see his words here reflect a love, a devotion, even a courage in spite of his pessimism. And his negativity led him to believe that he would be willing to die. They would die if they went to Jerusalem. But on the other hand, his love for Jesus was so strong that he was willing to go with him. There's no doubt in the fact that God calls us to live a life for the glory of God. And throughout Scripture, we see that God puts you here for God's glory. God put Lazarus here. God allowed Lazarus to go through death. God allowed Mary and Martha to suffer and to go through those agonizing moments in those days uh, without, any, without hope. And yet and Jesus said, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, listen, you don't have to fear. He said, he that believeth, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And we're reminded that God has, has given us a spirit of peace in the midst of fear. Listen, are we ready to assert our claim? Are we willing to be like Thomas and say, listen, I'm ready to lay down my life for the faith. Remember uh, when Jesus was talking about the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, he says, I, if any man will come after me, if you want to be a disciple, he says, let him first deny himself. Listen, God, it's not about me. I'm not going to share your glory. I'm not going to try to rob your glory. I'm going to take up my cross. That means I'm going to die daily and I'm going to follow you. For whosoever shall save his life shall you lose it. And whosoever uh, will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You see, that's what God's called us to. Are you willing to lay down your life? Charles Spurgeon said this, If you love anything better than God, you are idolaters. If there is anything you would not give up for God, it is your idol. If there is anything that you seek with greater fervor than you seek the glory of God, that is your idol. Christian, let us live for the glory of God. But let me tell you, just share with you today, if you... If you're like Mary and Martha in this situation, fear. If you, like so many others, have come to a place where I, I don't know what happens after I breathe my last, let me tell you that God says in Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. You see, the reality is we will all stand before God in judgment. Those that have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior will stand, and they will be found wanting. They're, they will be judged according to their sins. They will be judged according to all the deeds that they have done, and they will be cast eternally in Roman and Revelation 20 into the lake of fire. Listen, you don't want to be at that judgment, but there's another judgment, one of reward. One that is not based upon my merits or my works. One that's based upon my faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, as I stand before Him, it will be a glorious time. Are you ready? Have you lived your life for the glory of God? Christian, are you holding something back? Have you put up something in the way of God's glory?